baseball fans. It's time to take a trip from coast to coast across Major League Baseball. There it goes, a long drive. If it stays fair, home run. One strike away. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Fly ball deep left center. Grissom on the run. Yes, yes, yes. The Atlanta Braves have given you a championship. Listen to this crowd. Braves and baseball talk straight from the diamond. Here's Grant McCauley. Hello again and welcome to another episode of From the Diamond. I'm Grant McCauley and it's been a very busy, very eventful week across all of baseball and of course for the Atlanta Braves as we discovered in the last 24 or so hours. Not going to bury the lead here. The Braves finally went out and made a move. There were two marquee free agents sitting out there. Craig Kimbrell, the former Brave who a lot of people would love to see closing out games for Atlanta again. He decided to sign with the Cubs a couple of days ago. That left Dallas Keuchel. And with the Braves' rotation in need of an upgrade, Dallas Keuchel reportedly now joining the Atlanta Braves. So that's the biggest news story that we're going to talk about in this episode of the show. But we've got a lot of other things to discuss, including the 2019 MLB Draft. That is in the books as of this week as well. And the Braves have a brand new crop of talent. And to help me break all that down, my old buddy Carlos Colazzo of Baseball America will join me a little bit later in the show. So we will get to the Braves' draft class as well. And, of course, we'll take a look at what's been going on for the Braves on the field over the last week and look forward to what's going to be happening over the next week or so. And we'll get it all started shortly. But before we do, invite you to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Leave a rating and a review. Those are always appreciated. And be sure to follow along on Twitter. At from the diamond underscore is where you can find the show. And I am at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. And, of course, check out FromTheDiamond.com. That's where you can find all the articles and features and good stuff I'll be putting up throughout the season. All right, with all that plugging out of the way, let's get into the Atlanta Braves news. And as I mentioned, we're going to start with a big story, perhaps the biggest story for the Braves in quite some time. And I'm sure that a story that some folks would have loved to have seen written way back in December so that you could have had this guy for the full season. But now was definitely the time the Braves needed to upgrade their rotation and they have done so, reportedly agreeing to terms with free agent left-hander Dallas Keuchel. That news broken last night by David O'Brien and Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic. Keuchel's going to be getting $13 million to finish the season, so four months to go, and his signing comes at a time again where the Braves really needed to shore up their rotation. Last couple of starts for Kevin Gosman have been particularly troubling. He's tossed six innings combined, one inning against the Nationals, two starts to go, five innings against the Pirates last time out. Combined line, 15 earned runs in six innings, 20 hits allowed by Gosman as well. That certainly caused for concern. Where he fits into the rotation going forward is going to be a good question. He'll probably get at least a start or two as Dallas Keuchel gets himself ready. And you might be wondering, when is Dallas Keuchel going to be ready to pitch in the big leagues? He has been spending his time over the last month or two throwing simulated games every fifth day. So he has been throwing upwards of 100 pitches. That, of course, is a plus, but he's going to need to face some live hitters, and he'll begin doing that this weekend as he joins the Gwinnett Stripers to start on Saturday night. So that'll be something to keep an eye on. How many starts will it be? A lot of folks have been asking me that on Twitter. I would be surprised if it's more than three starts before Keuchel is ready to join the major league rotation. But, of course, two things you'd like to see, results and health. If he's feeling good and maybe the results are a little up and down, 
I think he can live with that. He'll get back in the swing of things. You can let him do that at the big league level as well. This is not a case of somebody who needs six or seven weeks to simulate the entirety of spring training. This is a guy that wants to get out there, get a few starts under his belt, just kind of get back on the bump and get back to business. And this also comes on the heels of the Cubs signing Craig Kimbrell to a three-year deal worth $43 million. And that puts to bed the saga of these two pitchers who have been sitting out there waiting for somebody to come calling and give them a deal. Certainly they were qualified. Certainly they could have made any of the 30 teams better just by being on the staff. The problem, of course, was for both of them, they were looking for big deals, but the qualifying offer means that a compensation draft pick was attached. As the winter wore on, we got into April. April turned to May. It became foolish for any club to sacrifice a draft pick to sign these guys, being as they're probably not going to pitch before the draft anyway. Then it kind of became a waiting game, but that might have been just what they needed to just get everything ramped up, get some clubs calling, and get things moving again. But I don't want to get off into the weeds here, and I've talked about this on this show and, of course, on Twitter as well. I mentioned it again last night. The draft pick compensation portion of free agency is something that needs to be either done away with or completely rewritten. There is no reason that a pitcher or a player should be sitting out and waiting based on what's going to happen in the draft later on. The two things have really nothing to do with one another. I know in the advent of having this kind of thing, this probably made a lot more sense financially, but in today's game and with revenue sharing and a number of other things and the fact that baseball is bringing in record profits across the sport, I don't see any reason that the draft and free agency should have anything to do with one another and one being able to affect the other and thereby keeping players from being able to sign on a timetable that makes a lot more sense for both them and for the clubs as well. So that's a a whole different thing. We can argue about that online or some other time. But either way, Dallas Keuchel now an Atlanta Brave. Craig Kimbrell is now a Chicago Cub. Pros of signing Craig Kimbrell for the Braves, I think there were many of them. And it was a lot more nuanced to me than trying to add a starting pitcher when you look at relievers, particularly closers, over a long period of time, and Craig Kimbrell could prove to be the exception to the rule, but the way that he profiles in terms of his arsenal, his high-octane, high-velocity, sharp-breaking slider, those are things that have worked incredibly well for him over the course of his career. But if you sign Craig Kimbrell, you're not signing him just for what he's done. That, of course, is what you want to see, but you're signing him making an investment on what he's going to do going forward. Certainly, he's worth signing. How much, how many years, those were going to be sticking points for different clubs because I just don't see a lot of teams out there that have the luxury of being able to spend $14, $15, 17000000 million per season on a closer, and I don't think the Braves were ever going to be one of those clubs. So the age, the volatility, the money, the years, and the fact that if you look at the trade deadline, which will be coming up in seven or eight weeks at the end of July, there are going to be a lot of relievers out there. Is there going to be a Dallas Keuchel available? Probably. But how many clubs will be looking for a pitcher like Dallas Keuchel? And what will the prospect price be for that starting pitcher as opposed to what the price would be for picking up some relievers that could help your bullpen? That does not mean that a bunch of Craig Kimbrels are going to be sitting out there and you're going to be able to get one of statistically the best closers of all time. That may not happen either. That may not be in the cards for the Braves or any other team. It just, there aren't that many great closers out there, but I have to think that the price tag was a big reason why the Braves were not looking to spend all that money on a guy that throws a finite number of innings and may want more years than they're comfortable with, and they don't want to get stuck with a contract that they just don't feel strongly about when they're not in a position to spend $175 to $200 million that some of these other clubs are out there spending where you can afford the luxury 
of having that high price closer. And oh, by the way, it doesn't stop you from doing any of a number of other things financially that you're able to do if you're the Dodgers or if you're the Yankees or some of the other teams that have those kinds of arms at the back of the bullpen. That's just not where the Atlanta Braves are in the financial pantheon of clubs across Major League Baseball. So let's look at Dallas Keuchel. More importantly, he's the guy who signed with the Braves. So what does he bring to the starting five? He's a former Cy Young Award winner in the American League, a two-time All-Star. He's also a four-time Gold Glover. Keuchel is 31 years old, so he'll be looking for a long-term deal in the offseason. He does have some tread left on the tire, most certainly, and he's going to need to show what he can do in a Braves uniform to get a few suitors and build up a market and hopefully find that deal and not have to worry about a qualifying offer or compensatory draft pick or any of that kind of stuff as he heads into the winter. As for what he's been doing over the past few years, let's look at the last five seasons for Dallas Keuchel. He's averaged a 13-9 record, a 328 ERA, 345 fielding independent pitching. If you're wondering if he outperforms that, it's been pretty much in line with his ERA over the past five seasons as he's averaged 190 innings per season as well. So he's been durable. He's experienced. This is the guy that's a ground ball pitcher and should benefit from Atlanta's strong infield defense. And he's going to provide stability this season for the Braves. And perhaps in October is where he could really shine because he does have experience there. A 4-2 and two record in the postseason, 331 ERA in nine starts, and of course a World Series champion with the Houston Astros in 2017. So the Braves have added a piece that they very much needed and something that Braves fans can get legitimately excited about as well. This is a guy that should make this team better. The Braves have gone out and spent some money. Of course, they had held it aside to figure out what these needs were going to be in season. And now Alex Antopoulos has spent some money in season to improve his club in an area it most definitely needed. And there's some more to come as we head toward the trade deadline. Then we'll see what other things the Braves can take care of. As for now, this gives them a proven veteran starting pitcher they can plug into the rotation and help the Braves chase down the Philadelphia Phillies in the National League East standings. All right, let's talk a little bit about the Major League Baseball draft, which took place this week. The Braves added a new crop of talent highlighted by Baylor catcher Shea Langoliers. He went number nine overall. That, of course, was the pick that Atlanta got for failing to sign Carter Stewart last year. The Braves also used their number 21 pick on a college player as they tabbed Texas A&M shortstop Braden Shoemake as their second first-round pick. I'm sure you noticed this was a much different draft strategy than the Braves have gone by the past few years, where they always seem to go with pitchers early and often. This wasn't really a draft talent pool that was set up for that to go after arms, so Atlanta pivoted to college position players, and they believed they got a couple of nice building blocks. Let's hear from their top pick, Shea Langoliers. He's an extremely talented defensive catcher, tremendous arm, great all-around defensively. He won a gold glove as a sophomore, and as you'll hear, Shea Langoliers told me he is definitely at home behind the plate. It kind of started just being involved in every pitch. There's more to the mental side of the game when it comes to catching, you know, calling pitches, scouting reports on hitters, working with the pitching staff, individual pitchers, stuff like that. And I was kind of drawn to that. I like, uh, you know, catcher's the only spot on the field that can see all the other positions. So you have to understand what's going on in every situation. And I feel like I was kind of built to be in that spot and physically and mentally. Obviously, I'm a bigger guy, um, but... Uh, Catching has just always felt like it was the right fit for me from the beginning. After a challenging sophomore campaign, Langoliers also put things together at the plate this season. You might have heard about his five-hit, three-homer, 11-RBI day in the tournament last week. Overall, he slashed 289, 370, 508 in his career at Baylor. 40 doubles for him, 27 homers, 110 runs knocked in, and 151 games for his collegiate career. 
Langoliers also had to deal with a broken hammock bone in his left hand. That sidelined him early this season, but he was able to get back and answer any questions about what effect that could have on him at the plate. And he showed he was back in a big way and better for having gone through some of that adversity. I would say it's improved a bunch. Uh, I think coming off my freshman year, I was a majority pole hitter. And, you know, freshman summer in the Cape Cod League with the Chatham Anglers, worked that whole summer on just, you know, hitting the ball where it's pitched and, you know, thinking right center, staying inside the ball, stuff like that. And sophomore year, there was a learning curve there. kind of got in my own head a little bit, uh, struggled a little bit. But I think the sophomore year is what I needed. It made me mentally stronger. You know, slumps happen. It's baseball. And, you know, the toughest thing about slumps is trying to get out of the slump. And now I understand what it takes to get out of it. And I think it's made me a better baseball player. And then obviously starting off my junior year with a broken hand, it wasn't ideal. But I think this year turned out to be pretty good. So Shea Langoliers was the top pick for the Braves, and Braden Shoemake was the second pick of the night in the first round for Atlanta back on Monday. Shoemake is a talented hitter. He's a lefty swinger who was projected to go in the mid to late first round. Atlanta nabbed him with the number 21 overall pick. Shoemake, I think, has got some room to grow into his frame. He's 6'4". He knows how to put the bat on the ball. His slash line for his career, a very good one. An advanced hit tool, that was the number one thing that jumped out from just about anybody you talked to about Braden Shoemake. He batted 322 with 37 doubles, 10 triples, 22 homers, 160 runs knocked in, and threw in 30 stolen bases as well in 180 games for the Aggies in his career. Just a nice all-around player, fills up all of the columns, and a lot to like about what could be some great versatility moving forward. He's a shortstop by trade, could play at third base, speedy enough to play in the outfield as well if you want to think about that, and that, of course, gives him options and makes him versatile and makes him attractive to a number of different clubs that want to decide what to do with him. For now, it sounds like he's going to stick at shortstop as he begins his minor league career. It's also worth noting that this draft was the first for the new Braves VP of scouting, Dana Brown. I had a chance to catch up with him after the two first-round picks on Monday night. Well, always an exciting day when you're able to add new players, new blood to the organization. Dana Brown, you just came in at the start of this year. Obviously, though, you're not new to this whole draft game, the whole player development thing, but when you come in, how did you and when did you start to put together the strategy and all of the things that you need to put in place with the June draft being, what, six months after you started? Yeah, so we most of these players that are being drafted today, we saw them a lot in the summer. So that's when you really start your list of follows. So I've been seeing some of these players for even longer than that. So I, I've seen Shoemate for like three years because he plays for Texas A&M. And, uh, you know, he's been around for so long. He was good out of high school. Same thing with Langoliers. I've seen these guys since they were in high school. So, But the summer is where it really got started, and uh, we're excited to have both of these guys. Now, you and Alex Antopoulos had worked together before. I know Alex has, obviously, certain preferences. I'm sure he's looking for things that you're looking for as well as you kind of put all that together as a front office. But also just looking throughout the system, I'm sure you take an inventory of what's already on hand. And then seeing the first couple of picks here, a little bit different than what the Braves have been doing the last few years because they've been so pitching heavy, especially in the draft. How excited are you to bring in a couple of position players, especially college players at that? Yeah, one of the things we wanted to make sure that we did was – stick to the strength of the draft and we thought the strength of the draft was college position players and uh, we will always draft the best player if it's a pitcher we'll take the pitcher we'll never draft by need uh, whether that's minor league or major league so it just so happens that these two college position players we felt were the best two guys available 
on the board when we picked. And we like their makeup. We feel that they have high upside, good character, leadership-type skills. And uh, we're really blessed. And, and the good thing is they're going to play in the middle of the field. Right. And even with Shoemate, he has some versatility to play third base if he had to and some seconds. So we're excited. We talk a little bit in particular about Shea Langoliers, number nine overall pick in the draft, a catcher. You know, whether it's by need or by just talent of this player coming in, it seems like he checks an awful lot of boxes in terms of what he brings defensively and seems to be an emerging bat as well. So there's a lot to like in this one. Yeah, and thank God he was still there when we picked. We had heard some rumors that he may go. He had a great tournament, yeah. five for six the other night with three home runs and a bunch of RBIs. So we were a little nervous about him getting to us. Thank God he got to us. We were excited about him. Uh, we think we're going to have him long term, so it's a long term piece that could potentially solve the catching, you know, on the major league team. So we're really excited about this young man's future. Yeah, for Braden Shoemake, he's a guy that you just talked a little bit about, some versatility perhaps. But one of the things I guess you look at as well with shortstops is typically they're the best athletes or some of the best athletes on the team, and they can play in some other positions. Is that something that intrigues you about him, or is this more of a primary position first and figure out the rest later? Yeah, primary position first, but uh, as I was saying earlier, it's great when you have a guy that can play different positions because it gives the manager some flexibility, especially in the National League. So getting a guy like Shoemate, uh, who can definitely play shortstop, and third or second if needed, it's an exciting piece to add to a Major League ball club. Can you describe him a little bit as a hitter? It seems like he has a plus hit tool, makes a lot of contact as well. Doesn't strike out much, doesn't walk much either, but he can put the bat on the ball. Yeah, exactly. Uh, We like that about him, that he makes a lot of contact. And the other thing we like is that uh, he's got some upside to strength. He's basically a lean, wiry body type that's going to get stronger, Mm -hmm. and he's 6'4", so we think that's going to translate into some transfer into some power. So that was very intriguing about him also. All right. Well, always an exciting time of the year, adding new talent to the Braves organization. Dana Brown, appreciate your time, and good luck the rest of the way. Thank you very much. Let's continue our discussion of the Atlanta Braves draft and really the Major League Baseball draft in general. It's always an exciting time of year. It's always a busy time of year, and I'm sure that nobody, well, not too many people know it more so than my guest at this time, Carlos Colazzo of Baseball America. You can follow him on Twitter, and I recommend that you do. At Carlos A. Colazzo is where you can find him. Carlos, it's been a while since we've been able to sit around and chat baseball, but I'm excited to have you on the show and also to talk to you about what's really your wheelhouse. I've enjoyed your coverage and learned a lot because I think I learned a lot every June about a whole bunch of players that I may or may not have ever heard of. <laughs> well, thanks, Grant. It's uh, an honor to be on here talking to you again. We haven't talked in a while, but I'm excited to uh, talk some draft and dive into what the Braves did. But uh, yeah. thanks for having me. Absolutely. I appreciate you making the time. And obviously, we'll get to what the Braves did. But let me just kind of start off with some general draft, I guess, outlooks or impressions, mm-hmm. if you will. Uh, the top of the draft, particularly the first round, kind of different than we've seen in years past. A lot more bats over arms this year. I think that was kind of a trend. It was definitely mm-hmm. one for the Braves. How did you size up the talent pool this year? And were you surprised by the way that things kind of shook out from the early rounds and then I guess going all the way through? Yeah, I kind of expected to be a little surprised about what was going to happen on day one just because of some of the rumblings we had leading up to the draft. A lot of people were expecting it to be crazy, uh, a lot of off-the-board stuff. But in general, it went kind of how we thought it would. Uh, A lot of the players and kind of the spots that we expected, uh, I think we got 9 out of 10 of the first 10 picks off the board. And like you mentioned with the hitter-heavy class, I mean, this is one of the weakest pitching classes in the last 30 years. Since we've been doing draft rankings at Baseball America, the first pitcher that we had on the board was Nick Lodolo, and he's the lowest-ranked top pitcher 
that we've ever had. Um, and this draft class, it went number seven. That's the lowest that the first pitcher has ever gone off the board. Previously, the lowest the first pitcher has come off was at pick number six in 2005. So, I mean, it was definitely a hitter-heavy class. I think the depth on this class was a little bit down, especially compared to 2018, which was a very impressive class on depth. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a number of really exciting hitters in this class, and um, we can talk about those more if you if you want to. But, yeah, hitting is the strength. Most definitely. I mean, we can start going through those top few picks. The Braves obviously took a hitter with their first pick as they mm-hmm. had that compensation for not signing Carter Stewart a year ago. They use it on a college bat in Shea Langoliers, and he, I think, is known as much for what he does behind the plate as what he does at the plate. But for some of these other guys, I mean, can you size up the quality and the talent of these hitters with not as much pitching or not as much, I guess, standout pitching available? Were teams getting really quality hitters here, or was it just a case of, the old best available tag that everybody likes to use. No, I think so. Especially in this top 15 grouping, there are a lot of really exciting bats. I mean, the top six hitters that we have and and the top six hitters, how they went in the actual draft, they've got a lot of really exciting upside. I mean, Adley Rutschman is one of the best draft prospects since Bryce Harper. I know a lot of people have, have said that's kind of exaggerating. That's hyperbole. No, I mean, we've heard that from a number of people within inside the industry. He's a well-rounded, prospect with few holes to speak of in his game if any plus tools across the board and then after that you have Bobby Witt Jr. who for me has the highest upside of anyone in this class he's got plus tools across the board I think he's going to hit going to be an outstanding defensive shortstop and then Andrew Vaughn is one of the best hitters to come out of college baseball in a long time obviously he won the 2018 Golden Spikes award last year Uh, he's got an outstanding feel for the strike zone power to all fields and and we can keep going down the list even the CJ Abrams and Riley Green are two exciting prep players jj blade is a, a polished college hitter who tapped into more power uh and even hunter bishop and shay langoliers are exciting uh for various reasons bishop more toolsy langolier is one of the highest floors in this draft but he's not just a catch and throw guy i think he's got a very solid hit tool and power tool that we can talk about as well but it is a fun draft if you like hitters if you are excited about arms maybe come back and uh check in with us next year Yeah, and that's the beauty of it is each draft, I think, is unique in terms of what kind of talent is going to be available in a given year, and it can change very quickly as well. So uh, let's jump into it with what the Braves did and Shea Langoliers, who you mentioned just a bit. He's a guy I felt, and from what I was hearing, that the Braves were definitely in on and and definitely looking at it. It sounded like he was going to be their top pick. He's a a world-class defender, I think, behind the plate. Obviously, he's got a lot of tools there, but I think he caught a lot of people, and maybe not by surprise, but certainly got on a lot of radars he may not have previously been on when he hit three homers and knocked in 11 runs in one game that'll get the attention of most everybody as you size up Shea Langoliers I, I think he just has a chance to be a great all-around catcher for a long time and obviously teams like to build with strong defense up the middle and it would seem that Langoliers checks an awful lot of boxes for the Braves oh yeah 100 percent I mean in any other draft class Shea Langoliers is the top catcher on the board you mentioned it. He's got outstanding defensive skills. I think even with Rutschman in this class, you could argue that Langoliers is the best defensive catcher in this class. He's got outstanding arm strength. He's a fantastic and polished uh, receiver behind the plate. He, he frames pitches well. I think as a sophomore, he threw out nearly 70% of the would-be base stealers against him. Um, so just, just outstanding defensive tools. But offensively, he's got some tools as well. I think I think because he was injured at the beginning of this year uh, of the season with a broken handmate, he kind of fell off the radar a little bit for some people. Uh, that combined with a bit of a down year as a sophomore, people maybe started to get the perception that he was just a catch and throw guy. I don't think that's the case at all. He hit 313, 388, 540 as a freshman in the Big 12. Mm-hmm. Um, 
as a catcher, which is very impressive. And even when he did have a down year with the bat as a sophomore, he still got on base at a very respectable clip, the 13% walk rate. Uh, just a very good understanding of the strike zone. And then this spring after he came back from the handmade injury, a lot of times you expect guys to, to get off to a, a little bit of a slow start. Maybe you, you don't get back to 100%. But he really just tore he – just, he just got back to 100% way quicker than I would have expected. He ended up hitting like 311, 376, 44, I think. Um, not as much power just across the board throughout the entire season. But like you just mentioned, I mean, three home runs in one game um, in the NCAA tournament is very impressive. I think he's a guy who has a chance for an above-average bat with above-average power. And when you combine that with his defensive skills, uh, I mean, his ceiling is an all-star caliber player at the major league level. Uh, and that's that's definitely a player to get excited about. Yeah, the Braves obviously were excited about that. This is a bit of a departure from recent years, and we'll touch on that in just a moment. But for Langoliers and talking to Dana Brown, the Braves' new uh, VP of scouting, he was saying he feels like that he could arrive quickly. Langoliers could in the major leagues. He could jump on mm-hmm. the fast track and be up pretty soon. Is that kind of the read that you got on Langoliers as well, a guy that could be ready sooner than later? Yeah, I think so. I mean, just how polished he is defensively. I think in general, catching is a, is a position where you say, okay, maybe they go a little bit slower just because – uh, normally you, you need to figure out how to kind of handle a pro pitching staff, all the game planning that you're going to be doing at that level. Um, whereas in the college game, normally a lot of the uh, a lot of the catchers don't really have to be in charge of the game plan and calling pitches. But I do think Langoliers is advanced enough to where that wouldn't be the case. And then obviously when you're in a system like Atlanta's, um, if you're polished and you're ready to go, they do not hesitate to advance you up the system. So yeah, I think he and, and their second uh, pick in Braden Shoemake are two players who could both move quickly. Let's talk a little bit about Braden Shoemake. I think he's a guy that most folks expected to, at least from the projections I looked at and, and what you guys had for Baseball America and other places, that he was going to be a probably mid to late round uh, or mid to late first round pick. And that's mm-hmm. kind of where he went as the Braves picked him at number 21. Seems mm-hmm. to have an outstanding hit tool. That seems to be the number one thing. As far as what else is going to make him or break him as a player, can you size up Braden Shoemake and kind of let us know a little bit about what makes him special? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the the biggest thing for him is, like you mentioned, I mean, it's just a, a very polished hit tool. He's a guy who's hit well over 300 every season he's been in the SEC, and hitting that at that level for that long uh, in that conference is very challenging. It's the, it's the best conference in college baseball. He's done it with a wood bat uh, in the past as well. I think what's going to maybe determine how much upside he has and kind of the ceiling that he gets to is Number one, what defensive position is he going to play? Is he going to be a guy who does stick at shortstop? Uh, some guys like like his feel for the position in college, but I've talked to some scouts who think he's probably better suited for third or second or or maybe even in the outfield where he's he runs well enough at this point to play center field. But is he going to be a guy who can play a position and hold it down? Is he going to be more of a utility type that has a good, a good bat? There have been people who have thrown uh, Ben Zobris comps on him just because he does have a ball shit tool and can play a number of positions. And then I think the other thing that's going to determine like how uh, far he goes is how much power does he tap into. Shoemaker is a guy who's always been uh, a tall player, but has always had kind of a thinner frame, uh, hasn't filled out as much as scouts kind of expected him to after seeing him in high school. He's kind of stayed skinny. If he can add some more weight or maybe just tap into more power, and whether that's from adding strength or whether that's just from hitting Major League Baseballs in, in the current environment that you see at the Major League level. Right. Um, how much power he taps into, I think, is going to determine what kind of role he plays in the future. But um, it's a very safe pick in the sense that he's got one of the more polished bats in the class. And those are good things to collect, I think, is is hitters where you're not necessarily having to project them quite as much because they've already shown a, a real being extremely adept at just putting the bat on the ball. And he certainly did that 
Raised a couple of uh, picks to start this draft, both out of the state of Texas, and they went outside of the state of Texas with their third pick. Uh, number 60 overall was Bo Phillip, and he's a guy that I think really jumped out to folks in that way that uh, I think he was way ahead of where most people had him projected if they had him projected at all as far as prospecting and lists are concerned. Uh, what, what do you make of the Bo Phillip pick, and is this more of the Braves maybe trying to spread a little bit of money all through the draft class and going a little safer here with a guy they just happen to like. Yeah, without knowing the specific signability, it's hard for me to say, but just based on like kind of what you said where we had him rated, we had him rated as the 254 prospect in the class. That's on our BA 500 list. So a little bit off the board for us, but he is a guy who showed some solid defensive skills, has extremely good arm strength. I talked to a couple scouts who say like, hey, if he doesn't hit at the, the next level, uh, he's got a fallback option as a pitcher. And while that's obviously not what he's going to run out to do uh, at the start, it's nice to have that fallback option. But he's a guy who has some barrel control. It's probably a lighter bat. Um, but I think you've seen the Braves take some players like this in the past. I think A.J. Graffinino is a guy who has some some similarities to Bo Phillip. Obviously, they took Graffinino a little bit later. But, uh, yeah, I think you could definitely make the case that with Phillip there, you get a player who – Maybe the Braves, maybe they like a little bit more than the industry. And we've seen some players in the past, like an example that I like to point to is the Twins taking Ryan Jeffers last year with their second pick. He's a guy who was off the board for us, but he went out and he hit really well in pro ball. So you never really know. And obviously teams have different boards than than the public does. And uh, sometimes they're right. So maybe Bo Phillip is just better than we're giving him credit for. Uh, But they have a number of high upside guys later on uh, that, uh, that should excite Braves fans as well. Uh, as far as Bo Phillip is concerned, I, I know there's probably not a whole lot of comps that you could throw on him, but the kind of pick that he is, it reminded me a little bit, and I think I saw this a couple other places, of when the Braves took Andrelton Simmons, it wasn't necessarily because Simmons was a great hitter, but he had other standout tools, including being a plus defender and having a great arm. So he may not become a platinum glove award-winning shortstop, might Bo Phillip, but <laughs> those are the kind of tools, I guess, that could get you on a team's board and get you drafted a little bit higher than maybe uh, other people might project as you try to put together that composite list to just kind of let people know who these guys are, where they come from, and what to expect mm-hmm. from them, and where they might go. Yeah, no doubt. I wouldn't ever throw Andrelton Simmons comp on him, obviously, just because Simmons is is so good defensively. And I think even Andrelton Simmons, he had more power uh, as an amateur than Bo Phillip. But yeah, you do have a guy who has defensive skills at shortstop and big arm strength. So if that's what you want to take away from it to get excited about, yeah. I mean, you can get excited about it. That's what it's for. That's what the draft is for. Uh, to get excited about all these guys who have a ton of potential and, and no one really knows what's going to happen. So why not? And as we know, time will tell most certainly with all of these guys, regardless of whether they go in the first round, number one overall, or whether they're, you know, pick number 1390 or whatever it was that Mike Piazza was a few years ago, you can be right on opposite ends of the spectrum. And uh, as far as the Braves are concerned, Hall of Fame chances aside for any of these guys going forward, um, the three college players at the top, and then you start to look at the Braves going, I guess, toward the prep side of things to get some other talent some different kinds of players and perhaps to have a more well-rounded draft you brought up something interesting on twitter about the model that the braves were using to form their draft tell us a little bit about uh, how you feel like that was going to play out in the draft and how it did play out as far as what the braves were trying to do with their draft strategy this year yeah so i heard from someone prior to the draft that the braves are going to be using more of a model than they have in the past for their day one picks and then kind of going to more of your traditional uh, scout oriented picks later on after that and i think if you look at their first three picks that makes all the sense in the world is three college performers kind of from safer demographics and then 
kind of on day two and day three, especially you get into some guys who are more upside plays. You get in some more preps who uh, have some tools that you can get excited about. Um, but this definitely did not feel like a Brian Bridges draft. Obviously he's not the guy calling the shots anymore. Um, but again, this is, this is kind of where the industry has been heading. This is the co- the most college heavy draft that I think we've ever had based on percentage on, on day one. Uh, and then on with top 10 rounds kind of across the board, uh, teams just feel a lot better about taking these college performers. Cause when you look at the major league pool of players, most of them come from the college ranks, and there's a reason for that. Obviously, there are a number of stars that you can get on the uh, the high school side, but sometimes uh, maybe you just want to have more uh, conviction that you're going to get major league value out of your draft. And uh, it looks like maybe that's the direction they, they headed, at least on, on day one. Yeah, most certainly a departure from the last few years in the way that you just described in terms of using a new model, but also it's, it's strange to see the Braves not taking a pitcher uh, until their fourth pick of the draft as well. I think yes. we all just kind of got used to the fact that, all right, well, which arm are they going to take with their first pick? And in yep. which two arms are they going to follow up with their second and third picks before they mm-hmm. finally take a hitter? This was the absolute inverse of that mm-hmm. uh, this year. As the draft went on, it did seem like the Braves did get a few of these uh, high school guys with some talent, but they didn't go too far, I guess. The third round, Michael Harris out of Stockbridge, he seems like a guy that has a lot of upside, and the Braves uh, feel like they might have found a good one in their own backyard. Yeah, I'm curious to see how they kind of run Harris out there, whether that's on the mound or as a hitter, because he is an athletic two-way player, and I think he has legit pro potential on both sides of the ball. I think uh, I think he prefers to hit, but I do think some scouts have told me that uh, he has higher upside on the mound. Uh, he's a guy who's six foot, 195 pounds, so he's not the biggest kid ever, but he's got good arm speed. He's been up to 93, has shown some field to spin a big curveball that has depth, um, needs to add some power in the future. Um, and then offensively and as a hitter, he's a plus runner in center field, has above average bat speed from the left side and some raw power. So there are a lot of tools here, and I think this does kind of get into more of the profile that's your traditional kind of high upside Braves, typical, uh, stereotypical Braves kind of pick, and he's a fun one. Uh, I'm very curious to see kind of how they decide to use him and, and what position and what side of the ball he ends up winding up on, but a lot of just raw ability there. If it means anything, when you look at the team's official site, they did list him as a pitcher. So I'm assuming that that could be the route that they would go first. But, you know, we'll find out as he gets, uh, you know, reaches an affiliate and gets himself into pro ball. Of course, he's got to sign a contract first. That's uh, all in due time. Uh, As you go down through here, I know there's uh, 40 or so names on each team's list, and we don't want to go through each and every one of them. But are there some names that kind of jump out uh, in particular on the Braves draft that, you know, like we said, a lot of focus goes on those top few picks, but you find the quality of your draft through perhaps the quantity of taking so many players and finding value in different spots. Do any guys from the Braves kind of jump out from this draft class? Yeah, there are a couple guys who jumped out to be on day three, their first pick on day three, 11th round uh, shortstop Vaughn Grissom. He was a guy who, who scouts saw frequently throughout the spring because he's a teammate of uh, number five overall pick Riley Green, who's the best high school hitter in the class. Grissom um, is no slouch himself. He's got solid tools across the board. I think the one that he might not have is just running ability. He's got kind of a, just an unconventional running motion. Uh, he's a six foot three, 180 pound shortstop who has really good actions and glove work, but might be a better fit for third base just because of his lack of speed and the fact that he's going to add some weight in the future. Um, he hits the ball very hard and he's got good bat to ball skills. I think um, he's a guy who maybe you tweak his swing a little bit, help him elevate the ball and take advantage of kind of that pop that he has in the bat. And he's an exciting guy uh, who I think could impact on both sides of the ball as a third baseman. 
Uh, I know that he's probably going to be run out as a shortstop, but I expect expect him to move to the hot corner in the future. Um, another guy who kind of jumped out to me is Tyler Owens because he is more of that classic prep power arm kind of guy who the Braves have done really good things with previously. He's a guy who's gets into 92, 94 range regularly, and we've heard that he's been up to as high as 97, 98. Uh, and he's an undersized guy listed at around like 5'10", 185 for us. Um, but he doesn't have a ton of effort in his delivery for a guy who's throwing that hard out of that frame. I feel like that's a pretty good sign. And he's got a slider that flashes the makings of a solid average offering as well. So that's a pitcher that I'd be very excited to see what he can do with a few years in the Braves system, just with the pure stuff that he has. And that's in the 13th round. So I think that's an exciting, exciting pick. Well, it'll be interesting to see where all of these guys end up as they start their pro careers and, of course, go out over the next few years because I know you're probably the same way I am and most people are when you look at a draft. it's I mean, you can give an immediate grade if you want to, but I'm not really big on those because really time will tell what these players are going to become. And, oh, by the mm-hmm. way, we do this thing every year. So you have the opportunity to you know get things right if you do have a certain draft class that didn't go as well as you wanted to, that's for sure. Yeah, no doubt. It is tough to, to grade a draft, like you said. No one really knows what the good what good drafts are, what the bad drafts are until like five, six years when you actually see how these players panned out. Because I guarantee you one of these players who we have not talked about today is going to wind up doing some big things. Uh, and we'll look back and wonder what we missed. Yeah, and we will find out in the course of time. And speaking of time, our time has come to an end here. Carlos, I know you're a busy man. I appreciate you making some time to join me here on From the Diamond. He is Carlos Colazzo of Baseball America. Make sure you're following him on Twitter at Carlos A. Colazzo. And make sure you're following along in Baseball America as well. They do tremendous stuff uh, both across the minor leagues, the, the draft, major league stuff, anything amateur that you can come across, anything that has baseball associated with it. You guys do a fantastic job. I appreciate you making some time. Yeah, well, thanks for the kind words, Grant, and thanks for having me on. It's always a blast to talk baseball with you, man. Look to be on here uh, at some point in the future. Thanks. Look forward to it. Thanks very much. Let's look ahead to see what's coming up for the Braves. It begins this weekend as their road trip continues. They drop two out of three to the Pittsburgh Pirates in a somewhat frustrating fashion in those last two games. They'll look to put that behind them as they roll into Miami and send Mike Soroka to the mound on Friday night. Braves have already swept the Marlins once down in Miami, but this team they're facing this time around, swinging the bats a lot better. You might have noticed they blew out the Brewers a couple of times this past week. The Marlins are 13-6 since May the 17th, so a little bit different look for this team, a little bit different swagger, a little bit different confidence for the Marlins as they welcome the Braves to Miami this weekend. Once the Braves wrap up the road trip, they'll have a 10-game homestand at SunTrust Park. They'll welcome the Pirates to town for four games, then the Phillies and the Mets will come in Three games apiece for those two clubs. Atlanta will, of course, be looking to get itself on track at home. SunTrust Park has not necessarily been the kindest place for the Braves. They've been better overall on the road this year. They'll try to get things going and maybe have a nice home stand. I think 7-3 and three would look pretty good to get the Braves rolling in their home ballpark and, of course, get them rolling toward the middle of June. And before you know it, the All-Star break will be upon us, and it always seems to get here quickly after the Major League Baseball draft is done. That's going to wrap things up for this episode of From the Diamond. As always, I invite you to subscribe to the podcast, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, where you can find it. Ratings and reviews always appreciated. And be sure you're following along on Twitter, at FromTheDiamond underscore, where you can find the show. And I am at Grant McCauley, G-R-A-N-T-M-C-A-U-L-E-Y. And, of course, FromTheDiamond.com. That's where you can find every episode of the show, all the articles and features and other fun stuff I'll have coming at you year-round as far as the Braves and Major League Baseball is concerned. So a lot of excitement this week for the Braves. they got a brand-new starting pitcher in Dallas Keuchel and a brand-new draft class as well. 
and I enjoy chatting about it with you here on From the Diamond. That'll do it for this week. As always, I'm Grant McCauley, and I'll catch you next time right here on From the Diamond. So long, everyone. <laughs>